you took 11 firefighters from around the world that never met each other until we met in Poland. And and the first time we all met is when we landed in Poland and we all worked together as one cohesive unit to make this mission a success. Angeles. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today here on Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. A few weeks back, we talked with Eric Hilly, a San Miguel, California firefighter, about his plans to take a team of volunteers to Ukraine. The mission, called Task Force Joint Guardian, would be the first ever effort to send civilian firefighters and paramedics to an active overseas war zone. Eric served two tours in the Army and, coupled with his experience as a firefighter, has the right skill set to run this operation. He solicited donations of equipment and funds to start sending rotating teams to help the Ukrainian first responders. The first group was a success. They spent eight days working side-by-side with local firefighters. He's now getting ready to send the second team. A third and fourth mission are being prepped. And Eric Hilly joins me now to tell us what they saw in their mission and how they pulled it off. Welcome back to Code 3. It's, it's good to be back. Thank you. The last time we had you on, you were talking about the plans you and your your uh, compatriots were making to go to Ukraine. Yes. You pulled it off. Did you get all the donations you needed? Uh, yes, we got all the donations we needed to get the first mission off the ground. Right now, Mission 2 is ready to launch. We have uh, secured pretty much most of the funding to launch Mission 2. And then after that, we'll start working on Mission 3. That's remarkable. I mean, most people would think it was enough to have gone once, but to be sending second and third waves is just amazing. Well, we're able to do this because of the uh, tremendous support that we're getting from fire departments and donors to keep this mission possible. We've, we've taken custody of so much more technical rescue equipment, firefighting equipment, and medical supplies that we're going to continue to do these missions as long as we can secure the funding to continue to make these missions possible. What was the toughest part of this once you actually got underway and started doing your best to help these folks? Well, the the toughest part was we had a lot of unknowns because one, nobody's ever done this type of mission before. So we didn't know really what to expect, how things were going to go, who we actually reported to. So there was a lot of frustrations on all levels, but we were able to work through it and uh, we made it happen. And now we've built the rapport and the relationships with the Secretary of Emergency Services, Ukrainian fire officials that now I think the second, third, and all these ongoing missions will, will go a lot smoother and be a lot less frustrating. How was this received by the people in Ukraine? It was it was an amazing how how well we were receptive there um, especially by the firefighters they really treated us and showed the brotherhood of the fire service and took amazing care of us um, they fed us well 
and just really looked out for us. Them seeing firefighters from the United States, Germany, and Australia on the ground there to work next to them and beside them uh, was a big morale booster to them and, their, and what, what they're dealing with and facing over there. What challenges did you guys have that you might not have expected when you were planning this? Well, the biggest challenge was just the who to report to, getting good assignments. And then the other big challenge was just over there with mainly communication, not as far as with communicating them. We had translators. One of the biggest challenges was just communications via cell phone, uh, the radios we had. Uh, that was a, one of the biggest challenges that we had over there. So who did you report to? When we arrived in Ukraine, we were immediately met at the border by two liaisons from Ukraine fire services. Uh, they were assigned to us the whole time while we were in the Lviv area. I mean, uh, Kiev region. We spent the first week in the Kiev region working in Kiev, Hostomel, uh, Bucha, and uh, Irpin regions where we were working. From there, we ended up traveling further east to Kharkiv, and there we reported to fire officials there in Kharkiv, where again we were received with open arms and, and well taken care of. And while we were there, the primary mission in that region is we trained approximately about 100 or more firefighters and tactical combat casualty care. What did you see while you were there? Well, it was very obvious we were in a war zone. Um, being a military veteran, I think the most disturbing thing for me was the amount of civilian targets and civilian buildings that were destroyed. You know, being a military veteran, you under, you learn when you deploy to war, something called laws of land warfare, rules of engagement. And being a military police officer, we also understand Geneva Convention, things you're, you know, you're not supposed to do in war. And uh, the biggest, I think, thing for me, and I think a lot of members of the team was the amount of civilian targets from high-rise apartment buildings, single-family residential homes, to grocery stores, gas that were intentionally hit and destroyed. Uh, that was a pretty tough pill to swallow, seeing that. Did you see a lot of civilian casualties as a result of that? Well, most of our mission, like on Easter Sunday, we recovered the body Two, we'll recovered portion of one remains in one of the bodies that are on, from the house. Uh, that was our toughest day, talking to neighbors. The second body we recovered that day, uh, her witnesses and neighbors, he was buried in the rubble, screaming for help for two days. Uh, but due to that area being under Russian control, uh, Ukraine emergency services were unable to get to him to attempt any type of uh, any type of rescue. You have a military background, mm -hmm. so you've seen the environment before. But what was it like to work in that environment as a civilian? Well, it's a lot different because again, we it, technically it is an active war zone, but the, the Kyiv region at that point, Ukraine forces pretty much pushed the enemies back. Um, so we felt extremely safe in that region. When we got to Kharkiv, it's a different story. We were within shelling distance, uh, while we were there, you can hear constant uh, artillery strikes in the area or rocket strikes in the area, air raid sirens. We had one time where we were at a station where there was a pretty close impact because it shook the station. So the difference between going over there as a military and civilian is, at least with the military, we have the ability to defend ourselves if need be. Um, we have the ability to call in for help, uh, what they call like a QRF, which is a quick reaction force if needed. Where uh, as a civilian, we, don't, we didn't have that luxury. If anything was to happen, our primary objective was to 
what we would what we'd be briefed on is our evacuation routes to get out of the area. And if something was to happen where we couldn't get out, was to basically hunker down and you know stay in a safe location as long as we can until the fighting stops. Did you have any military escorts or soldiers that were with you just in case? Well, no. At any time we moved, we pretty much were escorted by Ukraine fire officials. But all throughout Ukraine, everywhere we were working, they had military checkpoints that they call regional, uh, regional, like, I think military defense system. So we felt safe. We knew that if something was to happen, we would have at least enough of a warning to get out of the area. So again, Ukraine fire services did their best to make sure that we were there to do what we were there to do, but also to keep us safe at the same time. Tell me about the makeup of your, your team. So the first team involved 11 firefighters from around the world. Um, we had nine from the United States, one from Germany, and one from Australia. And uh, out of those, we also had one female. Her name's Anya. She's from Consumnes Fire near the Sacramento area. She was also one of our designated paramedics. And she's also on a regional female USAR team as well. So she uh, played both roles to be one, one of our team's designated two paramedics. And she also played a vital role to be used as a USAR and tech rescue subject matter expert. Had you worked with these team members before? No, and that's what the amazing part of this mission is. You took 11 firefighters from around the world that never met each other until we met in Poland. The only time we saw each other was through Zoom meetings or phone conference calls. And you had 11 firefighters with the, the common goal and common objective of helping our fellow firefighters out in Ukraine. And the first time we all met is when we landed in Poland. You took 11 strangers from fire departments from around the world, and we all worked together as one cohesive unit to make this mission a success. And so you had to learn pretty quick how your coworkers operated. Well, what made it very helpful was that I had two very, very good, I would say well-disciplined and well-versed team leaders. Uh, One of the team leaders, his name was Andrew Strunk. He's from Australia. He works for the fire services there for the Australian government. He's also part of their USAR team in Australia, and he's an Australian military veteran. The other team leader was Derek Rothlow, again, a U.S. military veteran, very well-disciplined and knowledgeable team leader. And those two were instrumental in the success of the mission by running their teams and making sure everything was taken care of. As a task force leader, all I am is just the mediator between the teams and the Ukraine officials. Those two made things happen and made the mission a success. Now, are you going to be one of the people going back on the second or third waves? I will probably be going on mission four. Uh, mission two's already been set, and we do have, I believe, four from the first mission going on the second mission. Why, why would they do that? Tell me why they'd want to go back again. Well, a lot of it is they saw the impact of what we were able to do over there. Um, you know, there's a lot of aid organizations that do certain things and uh, drop off aid, and that's about it. But we're there not just to escort the vital equipment and tools and medical supplies in. We're there to teach them how to use them. We're also there to work beside them and use a lot of the subject matter experts that we have on our team and part of this organization to help them, you know, succeed in their mission over there, either body recovery and or rescue efforts. 
and even providing medical care if need be. What was the majority of the work you did? It was, a, we actually did a combination. It was predominantly by time, with what we were doing was more recovery work, oh. um, recovering bodies and assisting and searching for body recovery. And a lot of it was training. Ukraine has a very good fire service, but their firefighters are strictly firefighters. They don't do, they don't really get any medical training. And it was very valuable because we had Anya, who again is a very experienced paramedic. And we had Sam, who is also a very experienced paramedic and slight medic out of Jackson Hole Fire Department. So we had those two that helped train firefighters over there in tactical combat casualty care and bleeding control, which is in trauma which is the most common injuries they're going to deal with right now in a war, war environment. What did you learn about their people when you were not actually working? Well, what we've learned is that there's a lot of pride in that country. You would see everyday civilians helping everybody clean up the war-torn areas. Um, they, they love their country. They, they love, they're there to fight for it. They're, there, they're prideful of it. And, you know, it's good to see them stand up and fight. It's good to see them look out and take care of each other. And they're very receptive and grateful for all the uh, aid they've been getting from around the world. How did they receive your help? They, they loved it. They was, it was amazing that they got to see firefighters that banded together to come to Ukraine to help them and work beside them and bring them, you know, some equipment and tools that they needed. That was a big morale booster for them to know that, you know, help is coming, help is there. Because like I said in our first interview, they're, we're sending all kinds, all these aid missions are sending medical supplies, doctors, nurses, medical staff. Nobody's sending aid to the firefighters. You know, no, one, no one's coming to help them. And that's what this mission was all about, was to providing the aid and assistance to work beside the Ukraine firefighters to give them some relief. Did you ever heard of anyone doing this before? No. Have not. So so you didn't have a template to work from? No, and and we, we made the template. We were the first of its kind ever aid mission of firefighters to deploy to a hostile zone to assist firefighters. Um, there, was a, there was a lot of headaches for everybody on the team because we didn't know what to expect, all the stress to getting the mission together, and then some of the hiccups and bumps in the road that we hit when we got there. Because, again, it's the first ever of its kind. Uh, we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what challenges we were going to face. And it did get frustrating at times, but we worked through it and we made the mission a success as a team. Everyone worked together to make this a success. Not one individual had, was the leading purpose, but if one of those individuals wasn't there, the mission would, wouldn't have succeeded. So it was everybody working together cooperatively to make the mission a success. What kind of bumps in the road did you encounter? Well, a lot of it was uh, mainly because Again, Ukraine officials were looking out for our safety because um, it definitely wouldn't look good on the news if a, you know, aid team from the United States of firefighters was either wounded and or killed or captured. So there was a lot of hes hesitancy at first in allowing us to do certain things because they didn't know what we were capable of or the knowledge, skills, and abilities we had. I think once they figured out what we're actually there for, uh, they then they realize okay we know we know what they're capable of we know what they're exactly here for then they started to loosen up the reins and then by the end they we, we pretty much we went to Kharkiv with no um, no re no hesitation at all they just reminded us that that understand that Kharkiv is an active area that is under active shelling 
and we, we, we acknowledged that and they allowed us to go on our way to go to go to that region and assist them. And their firefighters and rescue crews were working in the same areas? Yes, they, they were working in the same areas. Um, when, when we were at Kharkiv, we were met by, we had good conversations with two other fire chiefs that would gave us a tour of the era initially so they could see what the region's like, uh, what they're facing, and the challenges they have. Uh, they drove us by a market that was hit by heavy Russian shelling. It was a well-populated market. Uh, heavy fire that I guess had a lot of wounded and casualties. Uh, fire and emergency services showed up to do what they do, you know, save lives and minimize property loss. Why the emergency responders were there, about 20 minutes later, the Russians fired a second wave of attacks from the exact same locations with the intent to wound, injure, and kill as many first responders as they could. Ukraine fire officials at services that day lost one firefighter and had multiple firefighters injured. Wow, then it sounds like you guys did well to not have any losses or injuries at all. We took all the appropriate safety precautions that we could for a war zone. Well, yeah, but they did too, and they, they weren't as lucky. Yeah, and they were explaining to us that is a common thing that uh, Russian forces would do is they would hit an area, first responders would show up and do you know what they do. They're there to save lives and try to minimize property loss and then fire a second round of artillery strikes or rocket strikes in the same area. I don't even know the word I want to use, despicable. Well, while we were there, um, we were actually called to the capital of Kiev and we were met by the Minister, Minister of Interior, which is the number three highest ranking uh, political official. We were also met by all top members of the Ukraine Fire Services and a few members of Parliament to basically tell us thank you for showing up. The exact words they called us trailblazers because we were the first of its kind to do this type of mission. While we were there, they gave us a briefing of the capabilities of the Ukraine Fire Services, which is very impressive of what they're capable of doing and the abilities they have. But what was what was disturbing is the numbers they showed us. Since the war started, they've lost over 50 fire stations due to enemy fire. They've lost over 300 fire engines during that short Way while we were there, they've had over 7,500 working fires they've had to fight, over 80,000 collapsed buildings in the country. The Ukraine fire services and firefighters are working extremely hard. They're tired, uh, they're exhausted, and they have no relief. There's, there's no outside international teams coming in because it's an active war zone. Uh, so these guys are working nonstop around the clock to continue under hostile conditions to protect their communities and to protect their citizens. And at the same time, they've lost 38 firefighters at the time we were there, and they've had several hundred wounded. And we were even shown pictures and video of a fire engine that struck a landmine, critically wounding all four people on it. Wow. When you get back from something like that, what do you think of what happened? Uh, it, it's heartbreaking. Um, you know, being a military vet, usually um, when wars start, it's usually due to some major conflict militarily between countries. I don't want to take a political stance, but Ukraine was just sort of minding their own business, but trying to become part of NATO. Um, and that's sort of what triggered a lot of this. They're in a tough situation. You know, they're doing their best to defend themselves. But, you know, it's, it's also at that point where they're not a NATO country, so the other countries are sort of supporting it by giving weapons and munitions, but also trying to stay out of it at the same time. So it's a very unique, tough situation for them to be in 
um, from a, I would say a, a war standpoint, um, where they're getting international help, but not the help they want. Uh, like, you know, enforcing a no fly zone or stuff like that. So it is tough, but it does put other countries like NATO and the United States in a very, um, I, I would say unique predicament on how they handle it. But again, that's what, you know, military generals and elected officials are for to make that decision. Yeah. Well, congratulations on pulling off something unique. I'm glad to hear that you have other teams going, and I hope they go as well as your first experience. And so do we. And again, this, this mission's success because of a lot of people that came together for one common objective, one common goal, and that was to help our fellow firefighters in Ukraine. And uh, it's a good example of that, that bond and brotherhood between firefighters, even if we're halfway around the world from each other. All right, Eric, thanks for talking with me today on Code 3. Thank you. You have a good day. Thank you. Your help is still needed. Eric is looking for financial donations to get more volunteers over to Ukraine. So head over to our website, Code3Podcast.com slash Ukraine to find out more about Task Force Joint Guardian. You can also contact Eric on Facebook and that information is there too. Once more, it's Code3Podcast.com slash Ukraine. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.